True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. The Rays traded for a pitcher, and the D-backs finally have a closer. We'll break it all down. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today, and welcome to August. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show... We're going to break down a bunch more trades. Nick Pavetta finally had a chance to start, and he crushed it. The drop meter and much more before we get started. Please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We really do appreciate it. Scotty, let's jump right in, man. We had a lot of trades here on Monday. The Rays acquired Aaron Savali from the Guardians in exchange for... First base prospect, Kyle Manzardo, kind of caught me off guard a little bit. We'll we'll talk about <laughs> Manzardo in just a little bit. Aaron Savali this year, we've talked about him a lot recently. Solid season, eh, more than a solid season. 234 ERA, 104 whip. Uh, the underlying numbers, still pretty good. Doesn't strike many batters out. The curveball has elite spin rate. The cutter has great results so far this season. It kind of feels like a Zach Eflin type acquisition for the Tampa Bay Rays, and they did a great job with Zach Eflin so far this season. Um, Aaron Savali up to 87% rostered. Scott, do you think that he gains value moving over to pretty smart organization in Tampa Bay? I, I think it, it's impossible not to look at this deal from the perspective of, okay, well, the Rays did it, so what are we missing? Given their track record, given what they accomplished with Zach Eflin, as you pointed out, biggest contract they've they've free agent contract they've handed out in their history, and uh, it was Zach Eflin, and, and look how it's gone. He's been basically a top of the rotation arm for him this year. I do think 
you know, kind of putting myself in 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 that spot we were in this offseason when the Eflin signing happened. I, I do think there were clearer things to point to with him to say, okay, maybe there's something here than in Savale's case. Savale, okay, yeah, I gets a lot of spin on his curveball, I guess. It's never translated to many strikeouts. He has a career low strikeout rate this year, a career worst walk rate too. Not that it's a bad walk rate, but you know, that makes it all the more surprising. He's pitched to a 234 ERA overall. And, you know, the ERA estimators say he's drastically overperformed. The one of one of the more favorable ones is XERA at 367. 458 XFIP, 469 Sierra for Aaron Savale. So this looks like th- this has the appearance of a guy who's going to crash and crash hard. I know Chris Towers especially has been very dismissive of what he's done so far. I've been a little more open to it just because, you know, we all have pitching staffs to fill out and at least the guy goes deep into games, ride it for however long it lasts. But it's surprising to see the rays of all teams buy into it and to give up the caliber of prospect that they gave up for him. That that adds to the intrigue of this deal because... Kyle Manzardo is a big deal. As you said, we'll get into him in a minute. But it just feels to me like the sort of deal that a team like the Rays, you know, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, a team like the Rays would have duped a not as smart organization into making, right? Giving up a legitimate prospect for the pitcher with the 234 ERA, who obviously isn't that good. Yeah, the, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? I mean, you mentioned the Sierra and the XFIP for Aaron Savali. Is he going to pitch to, you know, an ERA over four the rest of the way? It's probably like a, you know, mid to high threes, I think, if everything works out for him. Or, you know, maybe the Rays kind of tinker with the pitch mix and they find a way to get more strikeouts out of Aaron Savali. Um, you know, for years, I've, I've kind of been hot and cold with him. Like one year I'm on when he's a sleeper. The next year he's kind of hurt the whole year. So uh, we'll see. It is a very interesting trade for the Rays because again, the prospect that they're giving up here in Kyle Manzardo, uh, you know, initially I was kind of taken aback by it, but when you think about the fact that Savali still has two years of service time, I think the Rays are a team that obviously, you know, values having that team control for a starting pitcher. So I think obviously that factored in here. Let's talk about Kyle Manzardo, who is having a down year this season in the minors, batting 238 with 11 home runs and a 784 OPS at AAA. Last year, a monster season in the minors, 327, 22 home runs, and OPS up over 1,000. That was across two different levels. Uh, he's currently on the minor league IL with a strain in his non-throwing shoulder. But as you mentioned, Scott, this is kind of an interesting deal. Uh, I saw you tweeting about it. You think this kind of clears the runway a little bit more for playing time in the future for Kyle Manzardo. Yeah. So it'll, it'll, it'll take a bit for me to, it'll take a bit of warming up for me to get to that point. But I, I do want to say for Kyle Manzardo, I think he's a very talented hitter. And despite what the AAA numbers have been, you pointed out last year how good his minor league numbers were between high A and double A. It, it has been kind of disappointing at AAA just by the, the the surface level numbers. But if you go beneath the surface, average exit velocity, 90.6 miles per hour. Max exit velocity, 111.9. Uh, swinging strike rate, only 8.3%. In-zone contact rate, 875 
uh, you know, if you get up around 90 with that, that's, that's pretty amazing. So the guy has incredible plate discipline. He makes high quality contact. I don't know exactly why his batting average has been low at AAA this year, but given that he has had so much success in his past, I, 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 I think, you know, we can look at this data and say, okay, Kyle Manzardo still is the real deal. And if you like a Vinny Pasquantino, for instance, then you should also like Kyle Manzardo. I actually traded him away in the Scott White Dynasty League. I had him as somebody who likes him in 2014 Scott White Dynasty League and traded him away as part of that big package for Mitch Keller. Um, and and there, are, there were some complicating factors having to do with contract status and, and all of that. But part of the reason was because he played for the Rays and I didn't trust the Rays to give him the runway you're talking about, Frank. And so had I known he'd be traded to another organization, maybe I would have been more reluctant to move Kyle Mazzardo. He is first base only, which I think is part of, also maybe part of the Rays thinking. Obviously they value versatility and if, if they have a guy who can only play first base, that that inhibits it. Inhibits it. Guardians have a breakout first baseman this year in Josh Naylor. So it is still, it, it will take some careful planning to to get Manzardo an everyday job with the Guardians, but I think they're committed to doing it. Obviously, they traded for him. DH spot makes it possible. And yeah, I think there's a good chance, probably not this year, given the way Manzardo's AAA season has gone, but at, at some point next year, Josh Bell is, is under contract still, but maybe they trade him in the offseason or... or you know, maybe they trade him at some point next season and clear the clear the way for Manzardo that way. I think he, I think he makes an impact for the Guardians. Uh, like I said, at some point next year, and goes on to be a great success. Hopefully, the one thing I will point out that doesn't help Manzardo's case for being a full time player eventually is that he has struggled against lefties at basically every level in the minors, from what I've seen, uh, especially this year too. So. Yeah, now, obviously he needs which to improve. Is, which is why I think it's another good th- reason he's in the Guardians organization. It is very typical for a left-handed hitting minor leaguer to struggle against left-handed pitchers. That's something that takes a long time to learn. You know, last year we were talking about that with Gunnar Henderson, and and you know, obviously it hasn't it hasn't been something that's inhibited his playing time so much at the major league level. But with the Rays, because they are so short-term focused and because they are so you know, they have to squeeze every bit of efficiency out of everything to compete. Uh, I, I think they would have been willing to inhibit Manzardo's development in a way that maybe the Guardians won't. Okay, other ripple effects here. I did think it was kind of surprising the Guardians traded away a pitcher considering they lost Shane Bieber, they lost Tristan McKenzie, they recently acquired Noah Syndergaard because they are desperate for arms in their rotation, yet they still made this trade. Uh, and apparently Guardians GM mentioned that Peyton Battenfield, Hunter Gaddis, and Joey Cantillo as options to fill in in the rotation moving forward. Cantillo is just a name that should be on your radar, I guess, in deeper leagues, AL only, maybe deeper dynasty leagues too. Uh, hasn't pitched well in the minors this year, but has pet- pitched well in the minors in previous years. So again, the name there, Joey Cantillo, is just one to pay attention to. And as a result of acquiring Aaron Savali, the Rays optioned uh, Taj Bradley back to AAA. Scott, would you say that he is a drop in redraft leagues? Yeah, I would say so. It depends to some extent on the depth. If you're in a 15-team league and you had to pay a third of your fab budget to pick it up. Maybe you played a little more cautiously, but for the average fantasy user, 12 team leagues or less, 
I think you could do better with that spot than Bradley at this point. All right, enough on Aaron Savali. Let's slide over to the D-backs, who finally have their closer. They acquired Paul Sewald in exchange for Josh Rojas and two prospects, Dominic Canzone and Ryan Bliss. Sewald, 33 years old, having another fine season, 293 ERA, 102 whip, 12.6 K per nine. 21 saves a season that's tied for 11th in baseball. He has 52 total saves over the past three years. Also has one more year of team control. So barring something crazy happening this offseason, I'm guessing Paul Sewald will be the closer for the D-backs this year and next year, assuming he stays productive, obviously, as well. He also becomes available in NL-only leagues, Scott. We were talking about that beforehand. So that's a big boost if you have any fab left and you need saves. Uh, I think you're going to throw a lot of money at him. Mm. I don't really think this changes much to his value, right? What do you think about Seawald? No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, the Diamondbacks obviously acquired him to be their closer. That's a role that they've they've struggled to fill all year, bouncing from, I mean, gosh, who all's been in it? Andrew Chafin, uh, Miguel Castro, Scott McGuff, Kevin Ginkle recently. They, they've gone to Scott McGuff more than once trying him in that role. And I think he just got another save in extra innings too. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, I mean, Seawald adds the stability they've been struggling to find all season and, and really rounds out their bullpen. Obviously if, if, if Scott service was willing to commit to him as a full-time closer, then, uh, you would have to think the diamondbacks are going to do that too. Yeah. I think the bigger question here, Scott, is what happens with the Mariners bullpen, right? The ripple effect there. My initial guess was that Andres Munoz, who does have a save over the past week, would step into the role. And so Mm -hmm. far this season has a 296 ERA, 1.15 whip, 12.2 K per nine. Walks a bit of an issue. He throws extremely hard. He gets ground balls. He gets tons of whiffs as well. Uh, Has two saves this year. Had four saves last year. And it always just kind of felt like the Mariners were kind of grooming him to be the next closer of of their team. Some people on Twitter pointed out to me, maybe Justin Topa or Matt Brash. Those are relievers that have pitched well uh, recently for them. Maybe they go with a committee. They have done that in the past. Your take on the Mariners bullpen. I'm going to call it right now the biggest winner of the trade deadline from an individual player perspective is going to be Andres Munoz. And if available in your league, I checked earlier today, he was out there in 60% of CBS Sports Leagues. You need to pick him up now because he has a chance to be a stud closer, a better closer than Seawald even. In fact, coming into the year, you may remember a lot of people were predicting he was going to overtake Seawald for that role, as good as Seawald was down the stretch uh, uh, last year. A lot of people were predicting Munoz was going to overtake him. I, I believe he got a save on opening day, too, which only added fuel to the fire. Uh, but then Munoz ended up missing time with uh, a shoulder issue, I believe it was, and, and Seawald really solidified things in his absence. I understand the concerns of a committee because I was just, you know, I was just making reference to it myself. Paul Seawald, not Paul Seawald, Scott Service, the Mariners manager, has been really since they traded away Kendall Graveman a couple of years ago, he had been very reluctant to commit to any one reliever in that ninth inning role before finally settling on Seawald in the second half of last year. But A, he did finally settle on somebody. And B, okay, you mentioned some choices, Justin Topa, Matt Brash. You look at their numbers and like back in back in the day, 
there were several Mariners relievers who you could make a case looking at the numbers would be a good choice to close. They could get away with using some of these guys in the ninth inning, but they're nowhere near the talent level of Munoz, you know? I just think, and, and I know the very first day Seawald's out of the mix, Munoz comes in and gets one out in the eighth inning, uh, and then the save opportunity disappears in the ninth, so they go with somebody else in the ninth inning. Would, would they have stuck with Munoz for a four-out save if that save chance didn't disappear? Well, we'll never know. I think even if it takes a little you know, a week or two for service to really wrap his head around the idea that Munoz is his closer. That eventually is what he's going to do. And over the final two months of the season, he might be, Munoz might be a top 10 closer in fantasy. It might be top five if the Mariners get a lot of save chances. The point is he gets a ton of strikeouts. throws 103 miles per hour and, uh, or peaks at that anyway. And, uh, yeah, his his introduction to the closer role has been a long time coming. He was he was touted as that even when he was back in the Padres organization as like a 21-year-old. Mm-hmm. Andres Munoz, as you mentioned, 45% rostered. So again, I mean, this is a must-add reliever. If you need saves, if you just play in a points league and you've been struggling to find a, a quality reliever all year, this is the guy, Andres Munoz. Scott, I moved him up to RP25 for now. I'm kind of hedging my bet because... I don't know for sure that he's going to be the closer yet, but I moved him ahead of names like Will Smith, both Rangers supposed closers, Will Smith, Aroldis Chapman, Clay Holmes, Kyle Finnegan, Jordan Hicks, Scott Barlow, uh, the names he's just behind, Evan Phillips, Adbert Alzali, Carlos Estevez. What do you think about that initial ranking there on, on Munoz? You have Carlos Estevez lower than I do. I, so that, that might confuse things a little bit. But I would say, I, so I was getting a lot of questions about Will Smith and I was saying, yeah, go ahead and drop Will Smith for Munoz if you have to. Uncertain situation there with Aroldis Chapman in the mix and I'm, you know, I, I question Will Smith's talent level anyway. That's fine. Uh, I would move him ahead of, who else did you mention there? I would move him ahead of Evan Phillips because Evan Phillips is, you know, even if it, even if it doesn't go the way we want it to go with Munoz, he's going to be right in the same situation Phillips has been in all year, where he gets the majority of the team saves, but maybe not the the vast majority of them. I would move him ahead of... Yeah, I, I so I guess he'd check in about 19 in my rankings. I think Clay okay. Holmes, that's where I'm initially going to slot Andres Munoz, which would put him behind Yoan Duran. It would put him behind Peter Fairbanks, Kenley Jansen in my own rankings, put him behind Paul Sewald. I think that's, I think the highest, I, I think I want Andres Munoz to be the highest ranked reliever who isn't 100% sure his team's clear cut closer. Because A, I think he's going to become that in very short order. And B, I think he's the most talented of anyone we could name in that group. All right. Fair enough. That is Andres Munoz, who we are assuming we'll step in as the Mariners' closer. Uh, as for the return, quick mention on some of these players the Mariners got. Josh Rojas, we've seen him have value in the past. Last year, he hit 269 with nine home runs and 23 steals. Canzone has been up the past few weeks for the D-backs, and he was crushing it in the minors this year. Ryan Bliss is a 23-year-old shortstop prospect, second-round pick, Back in 2021, he's also having a great season in the minors, batting 332 with 13 homers, 35 steals, 
and a 947 OPS. And I saw some D-backs fans upset about how much they had to give up in this deal. Most notably, our buddy, the Welsh. I was texting with him. He was not a fan of how much the D-backs gave up here. Uh, Scott, can you see any of these players making an impact with the Mariners down the stretch? I mean, the Welsh knows a lot about prospects, so I don't. I, I don't want to undercut, undercut him by saying this because I'm sure he plays pays especially close attention to Diamondbacks prospects. Both of these guys kind of came out of nowhere this year. And as we've talked about a lot over the past couple of years, the upper levels of the Diamondbacks system are especially hitter-friendly. So you got a couple guys coming out of nowhere right when they reach the upper levels of the Diamondbacks system. I don't know. I mean, the raw data for Canzone, we have a lot more for him than for Bliss because he spent a lot more time at AAA this year. It, it looks pretty good, but he's a 25-year-old, again, who came out of nowhere, and he was having a minimal impact as kind of a t- platoon bat on the major league roster. And now they're going to a pretty tough-hitting environment in Seattle. Uh, Ryan Bliss, for what it's worth, he's five foot six, so I don't have a lot of data on him, but I question how much power is actually there. I think, given 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 their ages and their prospect standing, I I think it's unlikely either of those guys, Canzone or Bliss, becomes an everyday player in the major leagues. That doesn't mean they can't be a contributor in the majors. Canzone, as I said, was already getting platoon at bats for for the Diamondbacks. But I don't think either one of these is, becomes a high-priority option in a dynasty league. And uh, obviously, sometimes surprise pop-up prospects happen in the upper minors, and then they go on to have great careers. That can happen. But I, if, you're, if you're asking me today, am I going to bet on that happening for either of these guys? I would say no. I noticed the same thing. Ryan Bliss, I went to his minor league page, five foot six. that's... That's amazing. I, I hope he works out. This could be like a, another Jose Altuve type player, but uh, we shall see. Scott, a bit of a heightist, by the way. You know, I, people don't know this. Scott's over six feet tall and he's looking down on the small minor league players. Yeah, I don't know why people are surprised by my height. I, that I, I do get that a lot when they either meet me in person or they just ask how tall I am and I tell them. I, I tell them six foot two. It's, it's actually six one and a half but who's not going to round up in that situation? I, I don't think that's like freakishly tall or anything, but I don't know. That's uh, People are surprised to hear I am that tall. Uh, I might question it too, Scott, because on my driver's license, it says five foot nine. You and I were pretty close in height, if I do remember correctly. Five foot nine? That's what You're it not. says. <laughs> well, have you actually measured yourself? Like, ah. There are ways you can figure this out. You don't just have to trust ah. whatever's on your driver's license. <laughs> I trust them. Well, whatever. Uh, you know, it's they five. don't measure you there. They just ask you how tall you are. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's 5'9", five 5'10", five something like that. Uh, pretty average, if we're being honest. Let's talk about the Cubs. They acquired Jamer Candelario from the Nationals for two prospects, DJ Hers and Kevin Maid. And Candelario having a strong season, 258 batting average, 16 home runs, six steals, and an 823 OPS, which ranks sixth among third basemen, qualified third baseman this season. Kind of feels like he's been overachieving. If you look at the stat cast numbers, the quality of contact, the expected numbers for Candelario, it is, I think, a quality move for the Cubs if they're trying to make a run at the wild card. It's a big lineup upgrade going from the Nationals to uh, obviously the Cubs lineup here. Scott, uh, are you going to be intrigued to move Jamer Candelario up in the third base rankings? I don't see any reason to do that. 
I mean, to this point, it, it's it's surprising. To, it was surprising to me to find this out. He has been the ninth best third baseman in points leagues, the 15th best in categories. I think the disparity there is he hits a ton of doubles. He has 30 already. Wow. And a pretty good plate discipline too. So he is better suited for points leagues, and it shows that given he's been a top 10 player at that position that's uh, you know been surprisingly deep this year, a lot of that's because he stayed healthy. I think if you look at per game production as opposed to overall production, it might be different. But even so, he's been a quality player in fantasy this year. Arguably having a career year if you toss out the short 2020 season. Data doesn't really back it up. I think sort of like with Savale, we're, we're kind of waiting for the regression to the mean here to, to set in. And so the fact it hasn't really happened yet, well, now he's going to the Cubs if we still expect it to happen, it's going to look like going to the Cubs is what brought him down. But I don't think that's really going to be it. I don't I don't think like I, I expect Candelario to get worse from here, but it has nothing to do with him going to the Cubs. So, Meanwhile, Patrick Wisdom, anyone else who is playing third base for them is is obviously out of the running in fantasy. Yeah. You mentioned Candelario was eighth in points leagues. Ninth. Ninth in points league. So. He's averaging 3.1 fantasy points per game. That's tied for 11th with Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado. That's that's even better than I thought. But yeah, yeah, tied with Arenado. Wow, it's a great season. Great season so far for uh, Candelario. Kind of feels like a better real life move for the Cubs than it does feel for fantasy. I guess uh, with Jamer Candelario. The a couple other smaller trades. The Brewers acquired Mark Hanna from the Mets in exchange for Justin Jarvis, and it seems like. Kind of could move around, maybe DH, outfield, some first base, maybe against left-handed pitching as well. Uh, but what I'm more interested in here, Scott, is the possibility of Ronnie Mauricio now getting a chance to play for the New York Mets. And who knows, maybe by Tuesday afternoon, they trade away Tommy Pham as well. If that happens, then I think sometime in the near future, we're likely to see Mauricio up with the Mets. I mean, I've been... Calling for it to happen for months now. He's been in and out of the five on the verge in my prospects report. So, yeah, if the Mets are doing a teardown here, I imagine that's going to open the door for Mauricio. Now, do they, considering it's August now, do they do the thing that we saw the Diamondbacks do with Corbin Carroll and the Orioles do with Gunnar Henderson last year where they waited till very late in August so that they didn't burn rookie eligibility so that they'd have a chance and maybe scoring a draft pick if that player won Rookie of the Year next year. There hasn't been as much talk about that. There hasn't been as much hesitance to promote prospects as I imagined there'd be because of that rule this year. Teams have been very aggressively promoting prospects as aggressively as any year I can remember, frankly. Uh, but now that we're in August, you could see them wanting to delay that just a few weeks if, if they've already decided they're out of it. Some other lesser moves. The D-backs acquired Jace Peterson in exchange for Chad Patrick. Peterson likely a bench utility bat for the Diamondbacks. The Giants acquired A.J. Pollock and Mark Mathias from the Mariners. Pollock currently hurt. He's on the IL uh, and frankly having a really bad season as well. So don't think that matters much for fantasy. Some lesser reliever moves. The Reds acquired left-handed reliever Sam Mole from the A's in exchange for Joe Boyle. And the Cubs acquired right-handed reliever Jose Quas from the Royals in exchange for Nelson Velasquez. Scott, anything there that I mentioned? Does any of that matter? Jace Peterson, Pollock, some reliever moves? 
I would be struggling to come up with a reason why it mattered. <laughs> All right. So again, the big trades of the day, Savale over to the Rays in exchange for uh, Kyle Manzardo and Paul Seawald heading to the Diamondbacks where he will be their closer. Let's take our first break. And when we return, oh my goodness gracious, we'll recap the rest of Monday's action here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome back, and a quick reminder to follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow Scott at CBS Scott White. You can follow me at Roto underscore Frank, and you can follow the FBT account at FBT Pod. Although I guess I have to call it X now instead of Twitter because <laughs> this whole new rebrand. Every time I look no. for Twitter on the top of my on my desktop, Scott, on the little tabs, I look for the little bird somewhere, and I can't find it, and it's confusing me. And then I got to yeah. look for the X now. So I mean, it's, it's, it's as much the change in color scheme now that it's a, a, a white X on a black background as opposed to that light blue color that it used to be. But I, I'm not actually hearing anybody call it X. So I'm, I'm, my, my own personal rule for this is if it catches on, it catches on, and I'll start calling it X. But until it catches on, like I'm just going to call it what everybody else calls it, which is Twitter. Yeah, I think there's probably a, more higher likelihood that it becomes Twitter X or something like that, but whatever. The point is to follow us again at FBT pod. We tweet out all the links to the live streams, the audio podcast, and uh, some short videos we've been uh, producing lately as well. Reminder that we have a trade deadline live special Tuesday when you're listening to this at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube. The audio will also be dropped in your podcast feed. The trade deadline is at 6. Our live special is at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Let's get into the players of the night. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Wow, those Yankees, by the way. Woof. Uh, Scott, player of the night, who you got? My player of the night is Nick Pavetta. Yeah. Who you, you mentioned at the top of the show finally got a, 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 an actual genuine start, not a bulk relief appearance where he goes the distance of a starter. He was, he was in at facing the top of the Mariners lineup, made it seven innings, allowed just two runs, four total base runners, struck out 10. Uh, that's really good. That's really good. And now in his last seven appearances, again, most of them bulk relief appearances, Nick Pavetta has a 201 ERA, a 0.70 whip, and 14.4K per nine. 
So obviously the seven inning outing was the longest during that stretch. The second longest during that stretch was a six inning outing in which he allowed no hits and struck out 13. We were inclined to dismiss that then in part because it, it came against the athletics and okay. The Mariners lineup isn't so great either, but now during a stretch where he's thoroughly dominated Nick Pavetta, He's now had two outings that were clear starter length outings, six and seven innings, and he was utterly dominant in those two. So you can't just dismiss this as, oh, well, he's he's doing it over a, a short stint. So, you know, he's able to air it out a little more, whatever you want to say. Like he, between those two, 25 strikeouts in 13 innings and four total hits allowed in those 14. I mean... I wish I understood what was going on with him a little better. I will say that that during this time, his fastball velocity has been up some. It's been up like close to a mile per hour. So maybe that's just bringing it all together for him. And and there's still a chance that you know if he's asked to go six plus innings with consistency, that that would come back down, and and maybe he wouldn't be able to sustain this. But it's to a point now where it's. I, I think we got to pick him up. I think we got to pick him up. It doesn't mean. We have to stick him in our lineup right away. But if we don't pick him up, somebody else is going to pick him up. And what if it turns out to be legitimate and you just thumbed your nose at it for so long that you missed out on you know, one of the breakout pitchers of the final two months of the season? Uh, I remain highly skeptical, but the, the numbers are getting hard to ignore at this point. And people are already picking him up, Scott, because I just went to go check who was the most added starting pitcher this weekend. I was going to compare that player to Nick Pavetta. Well, guess who it is? It's Nick Pavetta. He is the most added pitcher on CBS this past weekend. He's up to 57% rostered. So still out there in a lot of leagues. He does have RPL eligibility as well. So if you play in a points league, that's an added element there, uh, added incentive to pick him up. The name, I think... Is a, is a good comparison is Seth Lugo, who just turned in another quality start, a seven-inning quality start. He allowed two earned runs, nine strikeouts in Coors Field, 16 swinging strikes on 104 pitches. Seth Lugo has just been solid, rock solid all season. 354 ERA, 1.19 whip, right around a strikeout per inning, lots of ground balls, 73% rostered. Last week, I think I was on with just Chris that day. But I said I think Seth Lugo is the most under-rostered pitcher on CBS. He's just been so consistent. And so the question mm-hmm. is, who would you rather have, Scott, Lugo or Pavetta? I think there might be more upside with Pavetta, but maybe more downside. I prefer Lugo. What do you oh, think? No, I think that's I think that's perfectly stated. Um, Pavetta is the swing for the fences pickup, but the very likely to end up with nothing pickup. Well, Lugo probably going to be a reliable streamer for you. You know, not pick up off of, off of waivers and start a streamer, but, you know, somebody you move on and off your bench rest of season based on matchups, two-start status, etc. Uh, because I do think it's, I think it's a, 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 a hardy skill set where he's going to limit damage with ground balls, he's going to throw a ton of strikes, work deep into games, and just avoid the big innings well. And, you know, decent swing and miss potential with that curveball, especially for for Seth Lugo. So, uh, yeah, I think it kind of depends on what you're looking for. I agree 
is wait no what's luca at? i'm still on pavetta's he's 70 73 okay yeah i mean he was my number three sleeper pitcher for this week was lugo and that was even though there was a start at colorado which he obviously came through in next start in the two-star week is the dodgers so really two really tough matchups for lugo but i still had him third among my sleeper pitchers i was kind of sweating that so far so good though Oh my goodness gracious, for me is Marcus Stroman, who is struggling right now. He allowed six runs over just three innings pitched, and uh, he was removed from a start on June 25th with a blister. And over his last seven starts, including that start where he got removed, he is a an ERA of nine. Nine on the nose, 1.93 whip during that time. Still right around a strikeout per inning, but a ton of walks, ton of hard contact, Swinging strike rate, just around 8%. So it's not like he's getting whiffs. They're putting the balls in play, and, and they're hitting them pretty hard. It could just be natural regression. Maybe I'm making an excuse for Stroman, but he was just so good early on in the season. It kind of feels like maybe he's battling something right now. Still 97% rostered, Scott. Uh, I had this for later on, but let's just do it now. drop meter Marcos, <laughs> Marcus Stroman, 1 to 10. Where are you at? What are we considering picking up for him? Lugo? Would yeah. I drop Marcus Stroman for Seth Lugo? Or Nick Pavetta? I might do it for Lugo. You know, it depends how deep the league is, but if you get in a deep enough league, Lugo is probably not even an option for you to pick up. So, yeah, it's, it's probably just the shallower leagues we're speaking to. And look, the glob comes for us all, unless you're, <laughs> unless you're an, a, just a, you know, top shelf pitching talent. Which Strowman isn't. We have a long track record suggesting otherwise. The whiff rates are pedestrian. He does well for stretches because he he puts the ball on the ground a lot. But you know he's he's not he's not anywhere close to that top tier of pitcher that's going to distinguish himself from the glob. So the fact that he was so reliable for so long, I, I think, was really the exception to the rule this year, the rule of the glob, and. Um, so it's a lot of regression hitting it once. It may not be entirely mathematical. There may be something having to do with mechanics or grip or whatever. But the, but the point is, every pitcher has issues that pop up from time to time like that during the year. And the, the, the uber-talented uh, uber ones can continue to pitch very well in spite of it. People in, in Stroman's class can't. So I, I think... I think Stroman and Lugo are both part of the glob, and so if you want to swap one out for the other, I, I think that's fine. I certainly don't trust Stroman in my lineup right now with that nine ERA over his last what seven starts. Yep. And I think only one of those starts was anything in the neighborhood of good. So yeah, it's just unusable right now. I have a poll question up on YouTube right now. Would you drop Marcus Stroman for Nick Pavetta? And there's 195 votes. 54% say no. But it is close, so that means you know people gotta they gotta think about it a little bit. And, and what's know. the over? What's the ERA up to now for Stroman? I think I saw three eighty five overall. So I mean, Lugo's got the better ERA at this point, three fifty four. Mm-hmm. And what do you have the better strikeout rate? I would guess too. Uh, entered the entered today eight point seven per nine. I'm sure Stroman's not that high. No, I think he's at seven point eight. Yeah. And then you know, pretty big difference in WHIP too. So I don't. 
there, there's, I'm, I'm not sure what's driving that other than loyalty to what he did for you earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And the fact he made the all-star team, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's stick on with the drop meter here, Scott. I have a few other players. Anthony Rizzo, still 93% rostered. It's starting to seem like a mistake. He, again, I might be making an excuse. He hurt his neck on a collision with Fernando Tatis on May 28th. I'm just trying to find reasons why these players have been so bad for so long, especially someone like Rizzo, who has an extensive track record. But 45 games since that moment. He is betting 170 with one home run. He still has a 90 mile per hour average exit velocity during that time, but only two barrels. A lot of it has been without Anthony Rizzo. I get that, but uh, without I mean, Aaron Judge, without Aaron Judge, yeah. Uh, Rizzo still 93% roster. Scott, where is he on the drop meter? One to ten. I never gave an actual number for Stroman, did I? Yeah. Uh, so Stroman's like a five. Rizzo. Uh, seven. I mean, obviously you have, there, there has to be a first baseman worth dropping him for, which is, and that's been a difficult position to fill, uh, especially in the deeper leagues where it'd be more of a question whether you can drop Rizzo. But yeah, 93% rostered at this point seems a bit much. Tristan Casas is currently the most added first baseman. He's 78% rostered. Would you make that swap? So it is frustrating that Casas still sits against left-handers. But he's been so good for so long that at this point, and, and Rizzo been so bad for so long. Yeah, I think I'd make that swap. I think so too. Two other names that perform well on Monday. Would you drop Rizzo for either of these? Joey Manessis went three for four with his eighth home run. And so far in July, batting 283 with six home runs, 19 RBI, and an 863 OPS. Ryan Mountcastle went two for three with two doubles and three RBI. And in 15 games since coming off the IL, Mountcastle batting 350 with two home runs and OPS just over 1,000. Scott, would you drop Rizzo for either Manessis or Ryan Mountcastle? So what's interesting about that with Mountcastle is he hasn't played every day since coming off the IL. You know, Ryan O'Hearn was so good in his absence that the, the Orioles are still slotting him into the lineup. And he's still delivering. He's... Uh, O'Hearn's somebody to consider for this category too, frankly. It seems like Mountcastle is starting to play more, though. He started six of their last seven games. Yeah. I mean, Sunday was the day he sat. I sat two Sundays in a row and started every game in between, looks like. So hopefully, hopefully, yeah, they're they're working him in more. I, I think that would be enough justification to drop Rizzo for him. And I think you could consider dropping him for O'Hearn, too. I, I want to drop him for Manessis. But Manessis is interesting right now. So big day here on Monday, three for four with a home run. His eighth home run of the season. Six have come in July, which obviously means the first three months of the season, he hit a grand total of two home runs. That's obviously not going to cut it at first base. Why is he hitting six now in July? Obviously, that's closer to what we hoped he'd do coming into the year. Remember, he was he was one of the big stories over the final third of last season, emerging as a must-start player. Is he going to get back to that? Highly skeptical. His average exit velocity during this stretch with the six home runs of July, 87 miles per hour. It's actually lower than his season average exit velocity. He has pulled the ball a lot more in July, and that's a good way to, to get home runs out of low exit velocity readings. Is it sustainable 
I'm skeptical. I that that's somebody that I don't think I could drop Rizzo for Joey Manessis. All right, fair enough. One more player here on the drop meter, Edward Cabrera, who allowed two runs over three innings pitched, including six walks in this start. He has a combined five innings pitched over his last two starts, and Edward Cabrera still sixty eight percent rostered. Drop meter on him, Scotty. Eight. He's he's not even globby. I mean, he has the he has the upside to skip over the entire glob, I think. But like, what is it? Eleven walks in ten innings since returning from the IL is just that, that's just a difficult hurdle to clear. Yeah, I got it right exactly. Eleven walks in ten innings since returning. Yeah, I dropped Edward Cabrera in Tout Wars on Sunday. That's a 12-team head-to-head points league with Roto-style lineups. So we start seven starting pitchers and two relief pitchers. It's a little bit deeper than a normal league. I still dropped him. I chose to keep guys like Lance Lynn, Alec Manoa, Gavin Williams over Edward Cabrera. It's just those walks are untenable right now from a fantasy perspective. I think it's okay to drop Edward Cabrera. Let's hit some news and notes here, Scott. Mike Trout took dry swings prior to Monday's game in Atlanta, and it's unclear when he'll be able to return, but facing live pitching will be the next big hurdle. Uh, Pleasant surprise, as Jazz Chisholm was activated from the IL on Monday. He was batting cleanup, finished one for three with a double and his 15th stolen base of the season. Braves GM Alex Anthopoulos confirmed that Max Fried has completed his rehab assignment and will be reinstated later this week. They haven't specified which day Fried will start, but it's likely to be Friday or Saturday. Bo Bichette exited Monday with right knee discomfort and obviously potentially big injury there for a, a big name star in Bo Bichette. So uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Tyro Estrada will begin a rehab assignment with AAA on Tuesday. He should be able to rejoin the Giants at some point this week. Yuri Perez made a short start at AA last week, tossing just two and a third innings, striking out five. And according to Jordan McPherson of the Miami Herald, GM King, Kim Eng uh, said the Marlins are, quote, creating a path for him to come back, him being Yuri Perez, to the Marlins, uh, but no specific timeline has been provided. Still 81% rostered, so people are holding on, Scott. They're yeah. holding on. They've got faith in Yuri Perez. I get it. Rightfully. Yeah. We just don't I'm know. Gonna when. Predict just one, I'm going to predict just one more start in the minors. Yeah. Maybe so, he goes four innings. Maybe mid- Maybe he goes less, but I, I, you know, they're, they're trying to make the playoffs and they're quickly losing ground there. So true. You, they'd rather use those bullets in the majors. I'm sure. Yep. Mid August. Let's, let's root for that here on Yuri Perez. Despite jamming his shoulder on Sunday, Hassan Kim was back in the lineup and leading off Monday in Coors Field. Aaron Boone said that, quote, all options are on the table when asked if the Yankees are committed to giving Luis Severino his next start in the rotation. Yikes. Big yikes. Jared Kelnick, who's out with a fractured left foot, is unlikely to return until early September. Michael Waka was scheduled to throw a simulated game on Monday. He's been out since early July with a shoulder injury. Griffin Canning was scratched from Monday's start with general soreness, a.k.a. he didn't want to face the Atlanta Braves. I don't know if that's true, but I wouldn't want to face the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Chase Silseth started in his place. What a confounding situation. And we spoke about this earlier before the show started. Domingo Herman scratched due to discomfort in his right armpit. Johnny Brito called up, started in his place, and then Herman pitched five shutout innings in relief. I have no idea. <laughs> this is 
It's very confusing. It's it, Maybe it was gamesmanship, or maybe the Yankees had a trade in place that fell through, or they just have no idea what they're doing. So you don't you don't actually buy the story that he had pain in his armpit and was sent to see a doctor and so why would he throw five innings on the same day though it makes no sense maybe the doctor said you're fine uh, stop worrying I don't think it works that way no <laughs> I don't think so but I don't know I'm also Never had a doctor tell you that I probably have I guess but I'm also not a professional athlete yet mm-hmm. <laughs> so okay. You're 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 a conspiracy theorist. Very much so. You're, you're saying here, All right. especially when it comes to the Yankees, all the conspiracies. <laughs> uh, Brendan Rodgers was reinstated Monday, batting fifth as the DH for the Rockies. He is 11 percent rostered. Any interest in Brendan Rodgers? Maybe in deeper leagues. Maybe in deeper leagues. He's, I'm I'm off the Brendan Rodgers bandwagon after years of leading it. Fool me once. Uh, he had he had his chance last year. Uh, pretty much full health from start to finish. And uh, yeah, the power was not what I wanted it to be. So I'm, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't have especially high hopes for him. And there's plenty of other options at second base, plenty of fish in the sea. Charlie Blackman will begin a rehab assignment at AAA on Tuesday. He's been out since June 11th with a fractured right hand. Drew Smiley is scheduled to start Wednesday against the Reds at Wrigley Field. Mike Yastrzemski was placed on the IL with a left hamstring strain. Uh, Brandon Bielak optioned to AAA, which makes it seem like Jose Urquidy will be activated soon for the Astros. He is 56% rostered. Scott, any interest in Jose Urquidy? He could be Savale-like. I'm not saying like 234 ERA Savale-like. I'm trying to avoid using the word glob again. But yes, Urquidy could could be a part of the blob. He, he has he, he especially since he pitches for such a good team. He's capable of going six and seven innings with consistently, and on a good team that might earn him enough wins that he's worth having around. But I don't think he'll be on. He'll be any better than that. All right, let's take our final break, and when we return, got some other waiver wire questions, some leftovers. We'll do all of that right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. 
The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome back, and we've got 10 minutes left. Rapid fire, waiver wire pitchers. We already spoke about Seth Lugo. Kyle Gibson turns in his third straight quality start. He was at the Blue Jays, six innings, one run. Five strikeouts with 12 swinging strikes there. Noah Syndergaard, solid in his Guardians debut at the Astros. Five and a third innings, one run allowed. Zero strikeouts, no surprise there. Velocity was up across the board. I thought it was mildly interesting. Ryan Nelson turned in a quality start at the Giants. Six and two-thirds innings, two runs, uh, three walks to one strikeout. Blah. Scott, anything here on Nelson, Syndergaard, Kyle Gibson? So not much interest in Syndergaard or Nelson. I think the most notable staff from Syndergaard's debut with the Guardians is the zero strikeouts and five and a third innings. Uh, regardless of the velocity being higher, he still wasn't missing bats like Syndergaard would need to to be a success, I think. The last two years have shown. Gibson just continues to deliver these... Quality starts. I, I, what's a better? What's a different word than quality? Because quality start means something specific. Like they've been better than quality recently, uh, mm. and, and yet it's the same story with him as with so many pitchers. Where if 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 you look at the game log, you see a lot of starts like this, more than not. Yet he has a one a, a four fifty three ERA. Yeah, because when it goes bad. It goes really bad and skews the stat line. And that's what the glob is all about, Frank. <laughs> people people, people think it's all just a big joke. No, there is a point to it. And it's that the vast majority of the pitcher pool is exactly like this, where the final numbers aren't going to get you that excited, but... Can they do on? Can they do useful things for you on a start-to-start basis? And uh, I think Gibson has answered that question in the affirmative. Brace yourself. The complaints are coming, Scott. <laughs> the tweets are it's coming. Really, it's really just that one guy. You know, I <laughs> tweeted something about the glob today. It got a million likes. It's my most liked tweet ever, basically. A million. I love it. Let's get into the waiver wire hitters and. Comparing some players uh, in this, you know, range of uh, roster percentage ownership and Brandon Lau. We keep talking about him because all he does is keep hitting home runs. One for four with his 14th homer. He has four home runs in his past six games. He's up to 73% rostered. Scott, who would you rather have, Brandon Lau or Trevor Story, who could be back on Friday? Gotta say Lau. Because he's doing it now. <laughs> Didn't mean for that to rhyme. But Story, I mean, look, he has a lot of upside. What I'm what I'm interested in finding out with Story is, and we, and we won't know this until the season's over probably, were his disappointing batting averages of the past two years. Remember, it started in Colorado, his last year in Colorado, 
went from being a first round caliber bat to, you know, still a good power speed guy, but the batting average dropped to the 250 range, even in Colorado. And then his first year in, with the Red Sox, it was even lower. Fenway Park, an, another really good Babbitt Park. So, you know, it, it seemed like Story was on the decline. And then he has UCL damage. And uh, didn't have full-blown Tommy John, had an internal bracing procedure, which is why he's coming back now. But can he recapture that pre-2021 form where he was basically a first-round pick in fantasy every year? I'm not saying he can, but he's pretty young still. He's, what, 30? So it was, it was, if it was a decline for him, it was a premature decline. It, it, it's conceivable... It's conceivable to me that it may have been health-related, given the nature of the specific injury he was having corrected. So, um, something to something to monitor. But yeah, for now, I would take Lau over Story, while acknowledging Story has a lot of upside. I think you might be on to something here, Scott, because I am seeing that on May 29th of 2021, which was the start of the decline for Trevor Story, went on the IL. With right elbow inflammation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might be something that was yeah. affecting story for quite some time here. So uh, we shall see. Um, you know, maybe it's not even this year. Maybe he's a player to buy for next season. He's, you know, full off season, completely healthy. And just something to remember moving forward with Trevor Story. The next name up here, Christian Encarnacion Strand, went two for four with a double, a run, and an RBI. He had three hard hits in this game, two of those over 106 exit velocity. And this is our first check-in. We haven't talked about him much recently. He hasn't done much recently. Batting 244 with one home run, 636 OPS in 13 games. Obviously a very small sample size, Scott. Your initial takeaways from CES and uh, whether or not he should still be 73% rostered. Yeah, I think that's fine. He hasn't hurt. He hasn't earned more than that, but he's still earned. Uh, he, 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 he's playing enough after what he did in the minors to earn a longer look than this. And both of his hits today were hit over 106 miles per hour, so it was high-quality contact. Uh, the strikeout rate has been fine, but it's it mostly it's just such a small sample. There are no conclusions to draw from it. And uh, so I'm going to I'm going to give Encarnacion Strand more time as long as I've waited for him. Two potential utility options for your fantasy team. They have tons of eligibility. Who would you rather have, Scott? Luis Renjifo went two for four with his 10th home run. He's let off nine straight games for the Angels and having a very big July. Or Wilmer Flores, who homered once again, his 14th of the season, his sixth home run of July. Again, they're both hot right now. Who would you rather have mm-hmm. on your team just to kind of move around? Renjifo, Wilmer Flores. Uh, Flores has had one of the biggest Julys of any player in baseball. And there's a long enough track record there that we know it's not going to last, but he's getting everyday bats for the Giants right now, can play anywhere. Yeah, Renjifo's hot too. But, uh, you know, he's playing mostly second base. I imagine Brandon Drury's going to take over that position most days when once he comes off the I.L., so I think Flores' playing time is more likely to last, and I think he's just better anyway. Mm-hmm. I was looking at this yesterday, wondering if there's a way for Renjifo to stick around. I was trying to pick him up in a few leagues. It actually didn't work, but uh, roster resource has Mike Moustakis at third base right now, so 
I guess they, in theory, could play Drury at third or Renjifo at third and keep both of those guys in the lineup. It'll probably just be whoever's hottest at the time, right? So I think if Renjifo's hitting, he'll, yeah. he'll probably stick around. But I mean, Moustakas has been he, better than yeah. I thought he'd be for the Angels. Sure. And it's not like Anthony Rendon is out for the season. So there's, there's a chance he could return and disrupt things further. Also true. Let's get into some leftovers here. Some hitters. Wander Franco went one for four with his 13th home run, and he is just a... Another day we'll just try to evaluate Wander Franco because his season is just so interesting. He got off to that awesome start, but he's batting 202 in the month of July. I don't, I don't really know what to make of Wander Franco, so we'll, we'll talk about it another day, but uh, interesting player. Isak Paredes went two for three with his 21st home run, and... I called him a sell-high during the All-Star break. Maybe I'm wrong, because he has eight home runs in the month of July. His plate discipline is really strong. His quality of contact is so, so bad. It just it does not profile as a power hitter at all. But he seems to kind of succeed in spite of that, Scott. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he does the thing I was talking about with Manessis. Manessis has been doing it at least in July, where, uh, you know, dead pole hitter... And if you look at his spray chart, Isak Paredes' spray chart, is this is this cluster of home runs to straightaway left field and basically nowhere else. And uh, you can you can uh, carve out a career that way as a productive hitter in the majors, even if you're not somebody who's delivering the premier exit velocities. So I, I don't think you're wrong necessarily to call Paredes a, a sell high. He's more suspicious than most players with numbers like his. But there's also a, a chance he just continues like this. I, I think there's there's definitely a path to that outcome too. C.J. Abrams will not stop stealing bases. He picked up his 25th steal of the season, and it was his 16th here in the month of July just a huge month for C.J. Abrams. Gunnar Henderson went one for three with a sock and a shoe, his 17th home run and sixth steal of the season. Matt Olson went two for two with two walks and his 36th homer of the year. Somebody in the YouTube comments yelled at me yesterday for not talking about Austin Riley. So, yes, I will mention he is having an amazing month. He's batting 287 with nine home runs and a 961 OPS, crushing the ball. 93.7 average exit velocity, 21% barrel rate for the month. Both elite marks, but the analysis kind of ends there, Scott. It's We were waiting for Austin Riley to turn it on, and that's exactly what he's done. And I pointed out last July, was he did like half of his damage last season in July as well, hitting uh, 423 with 11 home runs that month. So July is his time. When he gets hot, so does Austin Riley. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this this July is kind of a disappointment by comparison. <laughs> so remember, on June 30th of next year, trade for Austin Riley in your fantasy leagues. Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez both seem healthy because Altuve went one for two with three walks and two steals. He's got seven home runs and seven steals in 37 games. That is a 28 home run, 28 steal pace over 150. So I hope he could stay healthy. I think he'll be an elite player rest of season. But it just makes me sad, Scott, because we were very excited to draft Altuve this year. I think he would have had a monster year if he didn't get hurt in the WBC and then he got hurt again once he came back. It's it's kind of frustrating, but what you, you do? sound like one of those fantasy baseball casuals, Frank, talking about this season in the past tense. We have one third of the season to go, okay? 
There is so much baseball ahead of us still. True. We, we Jose Altuve can still have an amazing season. It's not over. I hear you. Not even close. But I also did a few early drafts where I took Altuve in like the third round. So it kind of hurt me that, me you know, I, I, I missed out on that early season production. Uh, Alvarez, by the way, went one for three with his 19th home run of the season and his second in five games since returning from the IL. A few pitching performances worth mentioning. Tyler Glass now is on quite a run. He was at the Yankees. He went seven innings. He allowed just one run with eight strikeouts and 17 swinging strikes. Corbin Burns has turned in his sixth straight quality start. He was at the Nationals, six innings, two runs, five strikeouts there. Charlie Morton looked like uh, might be a rough outing for him, and then he turned it around, turned in a quality start up against the Angels, six innings, three runs, eight strikeouts, uh, and 23 swinging strikes, which tied a career high for Charlie Morton. Scott, anything on those three? Glass now, Burns, Morton. Uh, did you give the numbers for Glass now recently? Because they're worth giving. Not anything particular. Last seven starts, 208 ERA, 0.90, whip 13.1K per nine. Stud. And this was his third straight start going seven innings. Mm. So he's giving you uh, volume, too, in a way we've always wanted him to. And just looks like he's going to be an ace for you down the stretch. If he can stay healthy, but, you know, two months to go, I'd, 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 I'd bet on him doing that. I hope so. There's I, not much time left, Frank. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I, hopefully nobody's told you otherwise. There really isn't much time left. <laughs> I just tr- stressed that myself. Uh, Tyler Glass now. I moved him inside of my top 12 starting pitchers, and I would advise you to do the same thing, Scott, because he is awesome. All righty. Let's get into the call to the bullpen. And what do we have here? The Phillies. Craig Kimbrell picked up his 18th save. The Nationals, Kyle Finnegan struck out one for his 15th save, 43% rostered. If you're out there uh, looking for saves, though, we clearly uh, prefer Andres Munoz over Kyle Finnegan. For the Orioles, Felix Bautista recorded the final five outs for his 29th save. For the Angels, with Carlos Estevez unavailable, Ronaldo Lopez got the final five outs for his fifth save. And I assume this was just because Estevez pitched two innings on Sunday. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the only reason? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would have to think so. Not going to normally come back from two inning stints. Carlos Estevez, you know, I was pointing out I thought you had him too low. He has a 188 ERA this year. He's been very reliable. I might. The whip is high because the walks are high, but, you know, gets a lot of strikeouts too. I might. I, I don't him. see why the Angels would make a change there, especially to somebody like Lopez. I might have him too low, Scott. You might be right about that one. For the Reds, Alexis Diaz pitched a clean ninth for his 32nd save, now leads all of baseball, surpassing Camilo Duvall. For the Astros, Ryan Presley struck out one for his 25th save. For the Rockies, Justin Lawrence entered in the eighth inning, and he was attempting to go for a five-inning save. He did allow a five-out run- save. What, what did I say? Five inning? inning. Yeah, that would be weird. Five out save for Justin Lawrence. He allowed a run in the bottom of the ninth, uh, top of the ninth rather, and took a blown save there. And then for the Diamondbacks, Scott McGuff eventually pitched, picked up his ninth save in extra innings. But I assume we could drop both him and Kevin Ginkle, Scott, with uh, Paul Seawald coming over. That seems like a safe assumption, yeah. All right. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Tuesday. And the names that I like here are 
Ranger Suarez at the Marlins. Josiah Gray versus the Brewers. And Johan Oviedo versus the Tigers. I prefer Jose Quintana at the Royals and Oviedo against the Tigers to Josiah Gray against the Brewers. Gray would be my fourth choice. Okay. So Suarez, for me, it's Suarez, Quintana, Oviedo, Gray. On Wednesday, we've got, um, you know, I'm intrigued by Grayson Rodriguez at the Blue Jays. It's okay. I don't, I don't love the yeah, matchup. I think, I think it's fine. Okay. Uh, Cutter Crawford at the Ma- uh, Mariners, maybe? Risky, but, you know, we saw what Nick Pavetta did to that lineup today. Not many uh, options on Wednesday. McKenzie Gore. That could go really well against the Brewers. He could get a lot of strikeouts, or he could get a lot of walks, and it's an ugly stat <laughs> line. So you kind of have to, you kind of have to decide what you need and how desperate you are. But McKenzie mm-hmm. Gore against the Brewers could could go well. For my Pokemon fans out there, uh, McKenzie Gore is kind of like the pre pre evolution of Blake Snell, right? Like if Blake Snell is a Charizard, McKenzie Gore is a Charmander. He's he's got, you know, ah. he's got some of the traits. But he's just, he's not there yet. He's got to evolve, you know? If I'm, I I watched a little bit of the cartoon back in the day. I don't know how familiar, of course you're familiar with the cartoon. It was more for your age. Very familiar. (laughs) Um, So Charizard, if I remember, he he evolves from from Charmander to Charizard kind of too quickly and never listens to Ash, right? Ash has, he, he like doesn't obey Ash's commands and ends up like, He's like it's like it's like a Daenerys Targaryen situation. He's just like burning everything up. Yeah, that's what happens and, in the show. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of feels more like Gore. Like he's he's not going to follow any instruction. He's just going to do something, and maybe maybe he burns up something good. Maybe he burns up something you really don't want it to burn up. <laughs> yeah, like your ERA. Hopefully that's not the case here on Wednesday. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again tomorrow at 6.30 Eastern Time with a trade deadline live special, and then again later on on Tuesday night. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.